You're listening to the Maximum Advisor Podcast, a show that empowers financial advisors to set goals, take action, and grow their practice. Your host, Chip Munn, is an award-winning advisor and CEO whose advice is regularly featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, and The Streets Retirement Daily. Listen in as he sits down with industry experts to talk about building a practice and making an impact. Welcome back to Maximum Advisor. Today, I'm having a hot seat episode with Andrew Katz-Morris. He's with Katz-Morris Financial, and we're really excited to kind of get into his practice and brainstorm some cool ideas. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right, so let's jump right in. Tell me a little bit about your practice. You have a unique target market selected, am I right? Yeah, so I started out in my career as a teacher. I taught eighth and ninth grade math. And then I moved over into the city government here in Washington, D.C. And I worked in the school system for a number of years after I was teaching. And as a lot of advisors know, the 4 and 3B space is full of really high fees and a lot of really terrible products. I myself had a 403B with Voya back in 2013. And after I kind of unraveled that and learned what was going on inside my own 403B, I started evangelizing, um, you know, there is one good option and uh, there's a whole bunch of bad ones. And so I started talking to colleagues, coworkers, and pretty quickly found out that the help that people needed goes far beyond choosing the right retirement plan. People were coming to me with questions about student loans and how to figure out credit card issues, debt, buying a home, all kinds of stuff like that. And I realized that I enjoyed helping them with those questions a lot more than I enjoyed working for the school district in Washington, D.C. So I started my own practice to focus on educators and people who work in the city government here in D.C. Awesome. Well, you, you may not know this about me. I'm a former sixth grade school teacher. So I taught sixth grade myself for a year and cashed out my 403B when I got this job, you know, back 22 years ago. So I knew so little about financial planning when they first hired me that I had already cashed out my little bit of retirement. So let's jump into, as it stands right now, your business. What kind of team do you have? What are your services that you offer? I know that we want to get into kind of ongoing client services, but tell me a little bit about where we are now with those. So we're definitely in startup phase. There's part of me that was like, can I, can I even be on this podcast? Like I am not at the level, I think, of a lot of people who are further along in their journey. But since I started, so I launched and was officially registered last summer, summer 2019. And just based on anecdotal information that I see in other places, there's a lot of demand and it's going well. I'm still a solo advisor. I don't have a team. and probably serve, I think, 22, 23 ongoing clients. So was very quickly able to get to the place of break-even on revenue and costs. Most of my work is ongoing comprehensive financial planning. So, you know, I charge a little bit higher of a startup fee, and then I charge on a monthly basis for most people. For some people, I'll do hourly work if they really want to focus on one area, but my business is based on the ongoing financial planning model, the subscription model. Okay. 
Perfect. So you've got kind of a mix. So some hourly every now and then. I assume, if I understand right, some folks who are just kind of one time come in, do the plan, and that's the end of the engagement. And then you've got 22 or 23 that are ongoing. Yep. Perfect. So when you look at your goals, you know, we talked again, message kind of back and forth. And one of your concerns, the way you listed it was kind of ongoing client service. Tell me what that means. So as I started out, I was building kind of everything, but I feel like in the past, a little less than a year, I don't know, eight or 10 months ago, I worked with a coach, process coach. It was actually the XYPN coach, Emily Perdon. And she helped me build out a much stronger onboarding process and to keep myself organized. Cause you know, I was, I was onboarding like four or five clients at once and it was super jumbled, super disorganized. And I was just doing so much manually going to each person, like what's going on. I got to remember, what do we do? What documents do I need? What questions do I have? So we built out that. And I feel like I kind of got to a, a place where I still feel pretty good about it. I think there's definitely room for improvement, but it's not what's driving. It's not what's kind of keeping me up at night about the business right now. That onboarding process and then the first three to six months or even to a year of executing on the plan that we're talking about. Feel okay about a lot of that. It's how do I efficiently move folks along in the financial planning process and how do I keep giving them you know, really excellent service in a way that's manageable for me. So right now, for my ongoing clients, it's a lot of manual work that I'm doing. And I, I still haven't even settled on what my model for ongoing client service is, right? Like there's the model that I think I hear a lot of in at least the XY planning network world, which is, you know, maybe two to four meetings a year guided along by an annual client service calendar. You know, you're doing this for every client. You're doing a credit score check or a credit report check this month. You review property and casualty insurance this month, et cetera, et cetera. I have one of those. <laughs> I haven't touched it since I developed it last spring. I have CRM. I'm checking in with each client on a monthly basis. Like it gives me a reminder. And I go in, either I know that we're moving along and it's fine because I just talked to that person about something we need to do, or that's a prompt for me to go back. Hey, here's the next step. I'll throw that on the next meeting agenda or I'll ping them. Hey, you still need to fill out this form, but it's a lot of manual work. I'm continuing to get interest to bring people on, which is great. But the more time it takes me to service the ongoing clients, the harder it's going to be to scale. Sure. Completely understand. And so just a little bit of background. So in the way that I suggest that people work through the process of going from kind of startup to scale, I call it the basis method. And it stands for build, attract, systematize, invest, and scale. And it sounds to me like, you know, as it stands right now, what you and I are going to talk about kind of falls into three and four systematizing investing. And when I say investing, I don't mean the portfolio. What I do mean is investing in the client relationship over the long term. So when I look at a practice, in addition, so the building and the scaling are structural. They are at some point 
figuring out a team structure and do I need some help and, and those kinds of things. But the middle three, the attract, the systematize, and the invest, or essentially I look at those as three different businesses. So attract is everything that happens from them not knowing who you are until they sign up for an appointment. The systematize and working through those components are a completely separate business mentally in that that's from when they first meet you through year one. So that's that onboarding process that you're talking about. And then invest starts at year one and moves forward. And that's where you begin to nurture lifetime relationships. That's where you have the opportunity to get referrals. And so, so it seems to me like then, if I'm hearing you right, that middle portion that we'll call systematize, that first year of service, seems to me like you've got that down pretty good. You feel pretty comfortable with that. If somebody comes to you, you can handle the first year okay. Fair? Yeah, fair enough. Okay. So then what we want to look at and kind of talk about is how do we deal with client retention, that lifetime relationship, and orchestrating referrals. So let's think through that last part. I'm a big believer in designing a dream come true transformational experience. So we are in the transformation business. We take people from where they are to where they want to be. So when we look at the client experience from your standpoint, you're dealing, you said, with folks who work in government and educators. When you think about a dream come true client experience for them, what do you feel like it looks like after year one? So they've already been a client of yours for a year. What's the experience like for them? So after we've already done and kind of moved a lot of the big rocks of year one, what does it look like if you're a client? Yeah. What do you want them to feel? Right. Because this is a relationship business. And so you want to nurture a relationship with these folks. And whether we like it or not, that's a soft skill. That's a feeling. We can do the procedural stuff. And as we all know, the majority of the heavy lifting, right, is during that first year. That's where you're getting in, digging in and establishing the plan. After that, it's more of a monitor and update. So what then? What next? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm getting to this place. My firm only launched, like I said, in, in summer 2019. So some of my first folks are getting to that one-year point now. And the ones that I feel are most rewarding, and I do have people in this place where I feel like, you know, this has been really successful and it continues to go well, but they feel like their lives have transformed for the better. They're no longer stressed about the things they were stressed out about when they came to me. They're not anxious about if they're making the right moves with money. And they feel really confident, one, that they can trust me and they can feel really comfortable knowing that I'm kind of able to keep things moving along and they don't need to invest a whole lot of time and energy in monitoring everything, right? Like they can take that weight off of their shoulders and, and it's on mine and they feel good about that. And also that they understand and feel really confident in the value of my service. Even after we put together those initial pieces, they know it's worth it to have me there to continue doing that work and to lean on when life inevitably throws another curveball at them. And 
they want to have me there to be able to help with it. That's what I want. Okay. So then if you were looking at that, just give me a ballpark average situation. Do you do assets under management or you're just flat fee? So I do assets under management. So I do a flat fee for most clients. So for example, a typical client, couple, I'm charging them $250 a month after an initial $1,500 fee. And then with that fee, I include up to $250,000 in assets under management as part of that fee. If you get above $250,000, then I switch over to just flat 1%. And then that's a tiered AUM structure. But nobody's at that AUM phase where I'm just charging them on a straight 1%. There are a few people who are close and they're going to get there in the next few months. But right now, everybody's flat fee and I'm doing the investment management included. Gotcha. And I really just wanted to get a flavor for the complexity because I think that that, as we're talking through service schedules for now, the level of complexity could very easily modify how many times face-to-face that you would need to see and communicate because folks with more money have, in many cases, of course, all of our problems feel complicated to us, right? But I mean, as planners, so... It seems like the folks at the moment are folks who you could service routinely without an inordinate amount of FaceTime. Because once you've gotten them straight, and I looked at your website and saw the onboarding that first year process, once they're to that point and you're in more of a maintenance mode, then really for me, Andrew, the key becomes then laying out what your touch points are. Are going to be and touch points for me, you know, the things that I find to be important are that you vary the medium. So sometimes it's email, sometimes it's snail mail, sometimes it's the phone, sometimes it's in person or on video. And then what you want to do is say, all right, well, how often do I need these things? And then we can work backwards to figure out a couple of things. One, how much time it'll take. And that leads you to being able to predict how much capacity you have or don't have. So then we can start to speed things up by getting more efficient in certain places. And that also helps with when it comes time to build a practice and add more people, then capacity in different things helps you figure out kind of who and where the next person to hire is. So if it were me, I think that In an ideal world, to nurture a relationship, you want to be able to touch them on all those four areas. I think that if you were to guess, and maybe this isn't a fair question, but we'll give it a go. If you were to have a review meeting, so somebody's been with you for a full year, and let's say, for example, we're going to meet twice a year. How long does it take to prepare for and hold the meeting? I guess I would estimate four hours. Okay. Again, we're working in rough numbers. So four hours for a meeting. So next would be kind of touching base in between those, right? So if we're drawing it out kind of on a continuum, we've got a six-month cadence on meetings. And then in between, we want to be able to, like you said earlier, regardless of what the topic is, we want to be able to touch base in between. So you want to touch base in between. So let's layer on top of that. Kind of the next thing would be phone calls. So we want to be able to reach out to them, 
how often would you say? So if, if you and I are going to come through and I've kind of gone through the process, we're going to meet in six months to update where I am and, and what's changed. How many times do you feel like, again, dream come true? How often am I hearing from you? That's a good question. At the very beginning, I remember asking other advisors this question because a week would go by and I had my little book of four or five clients and I was like, oh, I haven't touched base with this person. I need to reach out. But now I know that's not realistic. And I also know that people don't want to hear from me <laughs> that often. So a month feels like probably a little bit aggressive, like too much. Quarterly feels almost like the minimum frequency. So maybe every couple of months six times a year. Okay. All right. And for what it's worth, my first client that ever gave me, because I started out on the asset management side. Yeah. I took a sales job when, when I first started and my first client who ever gave me more than a hundred thousand dollars that didn't have my last name. I called him for the first three years on Christmas. And one of the things that I do tell people and you've learned already is don't set yourself up with unrealistic expectations that over time you just can't keep up with. So I'm glad you already learned that. All right. So if you and I were going to talk on the phone, how long would you anticipate? What are we talking about? Is it a little mini update and review or are you just checking on me? What do you feel like that conversation ought to be like? My guess is that if I was going to call somebody, I would want to be doing it for more than just to check in. So I would have some items on the agenda to at least give some updates of what's going on or anything that I'm doing. Even if it's, hey, just went in, rebalanced, or I talked to your CPA, whatever it is, something like that. But probably, you know, it would, it would be to move something along, ideally. I don't want to waste somebody's time and call them and just say, Hey, checking in. How's it going? What's up? Well, don't ever underestimate that though, because just checking in is how we take people from clients to friends. So while, again, the harder skills, the technical skills are important, I just would suggest that it be a blend of the two. I agree with you. You don't want to waste people's time, but you also, if you ever want to just call or whatever and check on people is completely okay. And one of the things that I've found is I heard somebody say early in my career, people will fire their advisor. They have a hard time firing their friend. And so transitioning people kind of along that, but if, all right, so if we're going to talk every couple of months, then how long would you say that that phone call, you're going to have something to talk to me about. How long is that phone call? I would guess 10 to 30 minutes. Okay. So let's say 30 minutes. So, all right, you're calling me every two months. You are meeting with me twice a year. So I'm hearing from you or seeing you every couple of months on a pro, and that's a big word, proactive basis. So, and this is a big thing for me about why we establish these proactive things is because I never have to worry about when I'm going to hear from you. So it becomes a cadence that I can, even though I don't know what's going on, you, maybe you've shown me. So that transition from kind of that systematized unit to the invest unit. So, so from there, maybe you show me, all right, now this is what to expect. Here's how our touch points work. 
Every six months, we're going to do a review. We're going to talk every couple of months, and I'm going to update you briefly. You follow what I'm saying? So we're, we're building on that. Now, I would think that in an ideal world, of course, people are going to call when they call. Life happens. They need you. They're going to call. We can't ever, doesn't matter how big or small your practice is, got no control over that, have no way to know when that's going to happen. So what we're doing here is building out what we can control. So we've got some in-person or, or video. We've got some phone. One of the things that we have started doing is postcards. Sounds ridiculous, except for that they are inexpensive. People don't have to open them. You can convey some specific information, but more importantly, it's just a reminder of the fact that you have some resources that can help them, and it's an easy, consistent touch. Make sense? So the way that we do it is on one side, it has a really nice photo. So something that people might put on their, I mean, it's a professional photo. You might put it on your fridge. It's nice enough. But on the back, it just has what looks like a post-it note that says something to the effect of, you know, the election is right around the corner. It's one of the things that we get a lot of questions about. Just in case you hear someone talking about the election in their portfolio, just give me a call or email me and I'll be happy to send you our guide to the elections. Have a great week. But it looks like a postcard. It's super simple. Ballpark a buck a piece. So see, for you, you know, you're talking about $300 a year in that, but it's another touch. That one then is every month. That's pretty automatable. So I would anticipate your total time in that, let's say you outsource it because that dollar a piece is probably pretty fair with somebody else doing it. You know, so you're at two hours a year for that. Not complicated, but that's another drip, if you will, because they're also getting statements. They're getting things with your name and logo on them. All right. And then finally, do you have any kind of regular availability? How do you educate people over the course of the year? So right now, the way that it basically works is that every client, I've got a sense of all of the things that we need to be working on. So at the very beginning of the relationship, we look at, do this activity. I got this from another advisor. We do this activity where we have a, when I used to meet in person with people, we had a deck of cards and had all the different financial planning activities that we can do, right? Student loan analysis, rent or buy a house, insurance planning, estate planning, everything. And we bucket them out into year one, year two, year three activities. And so right now, almost everybody is kind of just moving through their individual project plan. So like I said, I know this is not an efficient way to do it. It's much more manual, it's not automated, but I go through each client, what are we working on now and what needs to happen or what's next? And then that's what I'm working through with clients. And I have on my calendar page, I have like, you know, shorter ad hoc meetings people can schedule. So if they reach out, I like said, people call when they call. Okay. If we do need to set up a meeting, I send them that link. So from my standpoint, so let me tell you where I was kind of going with that is that in addition to these very specific individual, personalized, proactive things. My suggestion would be that you consider mixing in some things that are not one-to-one. -one. So that could be a webinar. That could be 
on topics because you're relatively niche down on topics that would be interesting to your folks and do webinars where folks can just come. I don't know if you've done any of them. The pandemic has put me in a place where we grew five years technology-wise in five months because all of a sudden you're trying to communicate with all these people. And so it can be good for clients and prospects in that on a regular basis, they're able to see you, but you're able to invest an hour or two of time, whether it's two clients, if anybody more than one client shows up, you've already leveraged your time because now you're having a conversation that you've designed with more than one person. So two ways that you can do that, and, and I would suggest you consider both, and we'll talk about layering those real quick in just a minute. The first would be a webinar. Again, plenty of places to get those, or you can design your own specific to your niche. Let's say you did one of those a quarter. Again, three months to plan a PowerPoint. Again, a basic, predominantly client webinar, not super time-consuming. Let's say it's a 45-minute webinar, and it takes you, you know, three hours to put it together every quarter. So we'll call it four hours. Could be more than that, but we'll, again, we're just trying to kind of rough some things out. And then another thing that I would consider doing that we do is regular office hours. So just a Zoom office hours, we do them every two weeks. My partner and I get on just like you and I are. We're on Zoom. And we have a Zoom room and it's open and you can come and ask questions and we may pull together a few things that we can talk about, but it's 30 minutes twice a month and we're available for clients. So if, if nobody comes after 15 minutes, we can shut it down. But we commit, again, an hour a month, but anybody can come to that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what you're doing is... If you were to follow kind of what we talked about, you've got two meetings, you've got four phone calls, you've got 12 postcards, you've got four webinars, and then you've got office hours. Let's say that you did, again, like we do, 30 minutes twice a month, you know, every other Friday from 12 to 1230. So if I'm a client of yours, you know, on a proactive basis, I've got 46 times that I'm going to hear from you. Figure that's enough. <laughs> but for you, what it is, is you've got eight hours worth. This is per client. Because this is how, if we had more time, this is how I work through my stuff. You got two meetings per client at four hours. That's eight hours a year, right? You've got four calls at 30 minutes. That's two hours a year. You're going to have basically nothing on the postcards, and then you'll have more mixed time, kind of big picture. But it, with each client individual on the individual stuff, for those 46 touch points, you only have 10 hours a year per client invested on a proactive basis. You follow what I'm saying? So for, for you, that's 200 and say 250 hours. And if you work 2,000 hours a year, you've only got 12.5% of your time committed to the proactive part. Am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. But by leveraging these other things, you're able to give yourself, again, none of them particularly hard. I think all executable by solo practice. Now you've got a communication strategy that touches all those 
you've got the Zoom, you've got face to face, you've got some mail, and you've got you know phone. And again, we didn't even touch on maybe doing a just a monthly roundup email. I don't know if you do any blogging and things like that. We can talk about that maybe another time. But if you added in a monthly email that took you you know an hour, now you've got fifty eight touch points in a year. I mean that's what four and a half times a month. That's solid. Now, all of them are proactive, and you're always available to them for all those things. But they may not, may or may not take advantage of them. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, that's helpful. And I think that for me, going back to managing it all, breaking it up in that way gives you a cadence that then you can go back and systematize the pieces and the calendar for each one of those. Does that make sense? Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, we're at time, but I hope that you found this valuable. I think that it at least gets us started down the road of figuring out kind of the way to think about and structure a client service program in a way that should be pretty easy, I think, for you to implement. Yeah, I think this gives me some good ideas. Thank you. Awesome. Andrew, thank you for coming on the show. Hope to see you around real soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Chip. You have a good one. Thanks. You too. See ya. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com slash scorecard now. Join the conversation in our private Maximum Advisor Facebook group. And subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.